Good morning, listeners. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Med Ethics Podcast. We're actually going to take a little shift today, and instead of our regular medical ethical dilemmas, we're going to dive into some cases from the Ethics Bowl competition. So for those of you who don't know, Ethics Bowl is primarily a high school competition that focuses on ethical cases ranging from all spectrums of society and all aspects of society. So it will be a little different than our usual medical focus, but I think there's still some valuable topics to be discussed um, presented by the Ethics Bowl competition. So um, just as an example, I'm going to go over some of the cases that they talk about. Um, There are some medical cases already in Ethics Bowl, already embedded in Ethics Bowl, so that will fit into our team theme, but there's like so many other cases including like political ones uh social ones for example this might sound trivial but there was actually one about ghosting and if ghosting is acceptable by social norms and if people have the moral obligation to ghost or not so that's just a small one i mean a small example and then there's other ones like if millionaires should donate to um disaster natural disasters and uh fallen historic sites like the fire of notre dame or if they should be doing quote-unquote more useful things with their money like per se stopping world hunger because it's more pressing and immediate anyway so that's ethics bowl um if you would like more information on the competition that can be found at nhseb.org Of course, this will be posted in the episode description as well, so you can refer to it whenever you like. But um, so the first case I actually wanted to do was from the 2019 set. I will link this separately, but I wanted a smooth transition between our medical ethical dilemmas to Ethics Bowl. And this will be a segment where we just talk about Ethics Bowl cases. Um, The Ethics Bowl competition is actually in season, and some of these episodes might be used by my... uh, Uh, fellow peers to actually practice for the competition because I've been doing it for several years and the stuff that we discuss in this podcast might be useful to them so that's why I just wanted to do this as as some service to my school and to my team so the first uh, case that I would like to discuss is case number three of the 2019 2018 through 2019 regional case set of ethics bowl and it's actually named liver allocation so there's the uh, medical um, link i guess you could say so what we're going to start off is we're going to do multiple episodes or segments for each case so in the first case we're just going to have a read read through of the uh, i mean the first episode we're just going to have a read through of the case and short discussions and um, an overview of what the case is about and the main points that we need to talk about And then in the second and the third episodes, if there is a third episode for a case, then we can talk about the specific things and the arguments and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so let's just dive right in. So for case number three, liver allocation. In the United States, organ transplants, including liver transplants, are coordinated by a nonprofit called the United Network for Organ Sharing. Given that donated organs have a limited time frame for their viability, the U.S. is divided into 11 geographic areas for liver donation purposes. Within, within these regions, patients receive donated livers in order of need. However, there is a wide 
wide disparity in donated livers across these 11 regions. Okay, so let's just take a step to uh, break that down. So, um, all right, this seems pretty cut and dry so far. There's just a nonprofit and which is endorsed by the United States, I believe. And it's in charge of distributing organs because if there was no systematic way to distribute organs, they're vi um, since they're only viable for a short amount of time after the donor, um, the donor's time of death, they need to be distributed efficiently and quickly so the organs can be used and the gift of life can be given. So that makes sense so far. Um, yeah, let's keep reading. For example, in region nine. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> so I did highlight this part. This is a pretty, this is like the main point, but it's also a little general. It just says there is a wide disparity in donated, donated livers across these 11 regions. Okay, so that's um, as expected, to be honest. I'm not sure how much disparity I was expecting, but in any of these systems, it's almost impossible to have perfect equality and perfect efficiency. There's usually a sacrifice for efficiency when there's equality and a sacrifice in equality when there's efficiency. So that's one of the big struggles in any principle or system. It's balancing those two factors and although efficiency might seem like it's not a big deal compared to equality when it comes to donating livers and making sure they're still usable efficiency is a very big focus so that's all understandable um okay yeah so it just goes into some examples about this disparity it says for example in region 9 which includes new york 327 livers were donated in 2016, whereas in Region 3, which includes the Deep South and Puerto Rico, uh, 1,336 livers were donated. So this disparity is due to many factors, including prevalent causes of death. Some causes of death, like heart attack, usually leave livers intact, whereas others, like liver disease, do not. In Region 3, for instance, strokes are frequent causes of death, leading to more viable uh, livers for donation um okay so that i don't know how that contributes to the ethical conversation directly but it is like an intuitive thing that we could consider uh, that we should consider when talking about the disparity in these regions so new york um i'm not sure what factors exactly cause it but it has a much lower um quantity of livers donated than the deep south in Puerto Rico, which is region three, because in New York, diseases, uh, I mean, liver disease and uh, liver disease and other diseases that actually damage the liver are more prevalent than in the deep south in Puerto Rico, where donors die from, or more frequently die from other causes like strokes, where the liver is intact and still can be donated. So, yeah. Um, we just got through the first paragraph and I feel like there's not anything that's too complex or confusing in there. It's more of just like a layout for the rest of the case, which uh, we can dive into now. And I think this is where it gets into the bulk of the uh, ethicality and all that stuff. So a new policy change will work to mitigate this geographic disparity, regardless of membership in a transplant region. Someone in need will be eligible for any livers that become available 
within 150 nautical miles of the hospital where the transplant would occur. So that is actually a pretty big deal. That might be one of the most important sentences in this case. So that's going against the, not the uh, inefficient, the unequal or the um, disparity plague system that was laid out in the first paragraph. So because some regions have lower amounts of livers donated, patients are now allowed to uh, obtain livers from another region as long as that region is within one or a hospital in that region is within 150 miles of the hospital uh, of the um, 150 miles of the hospital okay so that makes that makes sense um i'm not really sure about the ethicality of that because if that is true you're taking livers away from people in the region who are in the region as the hospital but uh that's that's more of like a case by casing and it's hard to uh, determine right here. But uh, I'm sure that the case will give more information for us to grab onto and build arguments from. So let's just go and do that. I mean, let's just keep reading so we can find more of that information. Approved by the Organ Procurement and Transplantation Network, this policy, quote, will make more livers available in some places, including cities such as New York and Chicago, where the shortage is more severe than it is in regions such as the southeastern United States. Quote, closed. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that goes back to what the first paragraph is saying. For example, in Region 9, there's less livers in cities, in big cities like New York and Chicago, and the shortage is severe, and people who live in those cities are now able to travel to different regions where more livers are more readily available um, for, uh, for uh, transplants. Many views many view this change as an acceptable improvement in addressing disparities, but not totally satisfying, partly because this would not entirely eliminate those disparities, but also because it does not address one of its key, key causes, which is the difference in rates of organ donation in different communities. Okay, um, let's read that part again, because <laughs> I feel like that's also another important part of the case. So... Some say it's not totally satisfying, partly because this would not entirely eliminate those disparities, but also because it does not address one of its key causes, which is the difference in rates of organ donation in different communities. Okay, that makes sense. So what the case is basically saying is that, yes, that is a good thing, that people can now travel for livers and... Uh, within 150 nautical miles, of course, and they can address their needs, but there's two problems that still exist. One, this, uh, this rule, it does help. It does help alleviate the problem, but it does not fix it. For example, if you're more than 150 miles away in a region that's already um, has a shortage of livers, then, then you are not allowed to travel out of that region for a liver and you're still stuck needing that transplant. Also, this will overload the regions that do have a surplus, I wouldn't say a surplus, but have enough livers. And the second pro uh, problem that they quote is, um, or the main problem that they're trying to focus on is the difference in rates of organ donation in different communities. So what they're trying to say is instead of like putting in these new rules so that people can travel for livers and transplants, 
We just need to address the difference in rates to begin with. Therefore, if all regions had the same amount of livers and ample livers for all of those who need a transplant, we would not have to, that rule would not have to be implemented to allow people to travel for those livers. So um, yeah, I think so far compared to the ethics bowl cases I've done, uh, by the way, I've been doing Ethics Bowl for uh, three years now, and it's actually one of my favorite extracurriculars, one of my favorite competitions. I just love, love, love philosophy and moral philosophy, especially. And I, th I just, uh, I enjoy collaborating with other people and creating and having collaborative space where we can form discussions and arguments to address issues like this, which are, which actually exist in our communities and we need to solve. Okay, sorry for the sidebar. But yeah, uh, com uh, compared to the, all the ethics bowl cases I've done so far, this is, this is definitely an interesting one, but it's not too complex, I would say. It's just, it's more of like a rule case. Like what are the pros and cons of this rule and what needs to be changed? But uh, I could be wrong. We, need to, we haven't finished the case yet and we can keep reading. So I think we got through the bulk of it, but let's just dive right into the third paragraph and see if there's any new information that changes the scenario excuse me so additionally these changes will leave in place another feature of the current system which has received some criticism it will still be possible for people to join multiple regional liver registries if they can afford it um okay so that's actually a big deal because whenever something is not government subsidized or provided by the nonprofit, and the patient themselves have the power to pay for it or lack thereof of the power to pay for it, then it does include uh, an aspect of classism or uh, social uh, inequality because the people who are in a better socioeconomic position can pay for liver, um, for liver transplants because they can afford to travel to a different city or a different region. They can afford to book hotels, they can afford to take those tests, and they can afford to have the transplant in the first place. Well, people who are impoverished and don't have enough livers in their own region don't have the luxury. I wouldn't say luxury because they are all need in need of liver transplants, but they don't have the privilege to be able to travel and ex uh, afford all those expenses for a new liver. Um, anyways... Yeah, I think I actually just covered the next two lines of the case. Um, yeah, um, let's just keep going and see what the case is. However, however, those who support maintaining the possibility of patients joining multiple registries emphasize the autonomy of patients. When it comes up for a vote, patients, uh, quote unquote, when it comes up for a vote, patient advocacy groups have argued that while things like test results and blood types are out of the patient's control, Determining whether to obtain a second listing and where to do it allows the patient to be proactive. There's a thing with pro proactivity again. The main problem I'm seeing is the only people who are able to be proactive in this are the ones who can afford all of those expenses, while everyone else who is impoverished aren't even able to make their own decisions. They are able to make their own decisions, but they probably will have less decisions or less options open because they can only afford some of them. All right. Final paragraph of the case. Despite the change to regional allocation, discussion continues about how to make liver transplants and organ transplants in general more equitably accessible for those who need them. 
In 2016, more than 7,000 candidates died while an organ transplant waitlist or within 30 days of leaving the list for personal or medical reasons without re receiving a transplant, without receiving an organ transplant. So right away, you can see how this is such a big problem. 7,000 deaths is, is a very big number and that one that needs to be tackled. So all of those lives can be saved. And this 7,000 doesn't even cover the entire scope of the problem. 7,000 candidates is a very specific number of a very specific cohort of people who died while on the wait list or withdrew from the wait list. So, yeah. Um, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Med Ethics Podcast. Uh, I enjoyed discussing that case with you. And this was part one, but in part two, um, we will discuss... Um, the clear arguments to this case and uh, what needs to be done to confront it. And uh, we'll also answer the study questions and all that stuff. If you have any questions, please just email the podcast or the email that is listed on the podcast website. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope to see you next time so we can really flesh out this case and uh, make the points we need to, to uh, find a good solution. Uh, have a good day and don't forget to stay ethical.